Before I introduce uh, Graham Lane, I'd like to uh, introduce or, or just highlight some of our luminaries that are here, some of our elected officials. Uh, of course, we have the Bipole 3 Coalition here, and I'd like to introduce Karen Friesen, who is the president of Bipole. And then we have Garland Laliberti, uh, Vice President, and uh, Garland spent his winter in uh, Florida working on this file, apparently. Kind of make me feel guilty. <laughs> we also have Rona Bakari, who is leader of the Liberal Party. Rona, good to see you. Also good to see Ralph Eichler, who is the hydro critic for the, uh, the PC Party. And then the, the ever dynamic uh, city councillor, Scott Fielding. <laughs> and of course, Graham Lane. Graham Lane is, uh, as most of you know, a very prolific columnist at the Winnipeg Free Press. Graham uh, is a retired CA and has had a multifaceted career spanning almost 50 years in the public and private sectors of seven provinces as a senior executive and consultant in the public sector before concluding his career as a chairman of the Public Utilities Board. He consulted for three provincial governments and was employed by four provinces. In Manitoba, he was the CEO of Credit Union Central, bringing in online banking. He was the Vice President of Public Investments of Manitoba, the Interim President of MPI, and he reorganized the corporation after its massive losses of 1986. He was also a Vice President of the University of Winnipeg and the CEO of the Workers' Compensation Board and there he restructured the insurer and returned it to solvency. His experience with Crown Corporations go well beyond Manitoba's. He was the control, comptroller of Saskatchewan's Crown Investments Corporation and a consultant reviewing government auto insurance in BC and workers' compensation in Nova Scotia. He received the gold medal in philosophy as an undergraduate and a Paul Harris Fellowship from Rotary International for Excellence in Vocational Service throughout his career and wherever he worked, consulted or volunteered, he maintained an external objectivity. And Frontier Centre is very happy to have Graham Lane on the expert advisory panel at, uh, at the Frontier Centre. So uh, with that, Graham, we'll ask you to introduce our speaker today. Thank you, Peter. I am beyond pleased to introduce you to my esteemed colleague from afar. But before I do that, I wanted to remind uh, everyone about there was an invite that was out there on the front table, and if you weren't un unable to uh, obtain it, it's an invitation to an independent inquiry into Manitoba Hydro's expansion plan, including Bipole 3, be held on Thursday, May the 8th of this year at the Delta Winnipeg, and it's being sponsored and organized by the Bipole 3 Coalition. It's an all-day event. Um, it promises uh, an inter interesting day for all those that attend. Um, if you haven't got an invitation in paper, um, probably from tomorrow afternoon on, you'll, you'll be able to get it off of the Bipole Coalition's website, which is www.bipole3-coalition.ca. Now on to our speaker, David Vardy. David is well qualified to speak to us on what would represent appropriate regulatory oversight of massive, expensive, and risky mega projects. And as to show how far from that standard the process unfolding in Newfoundland, Labrador, and Manitoba has been and is. He is also well qualified to state the case that governments spending taxpayer and ratepayers' money committing billions of dollars, affecting provincial economies generations out, should stop hiding critical information from the public, claiming either cabinet confidentiality or commercial sensitivity. He is also more than qualified to criticize the governance structures of monopoly crown corporations and provincial regulatory bodies. Seeking an avoidance of conflicts of interest and the involvement of independent, open and accountable officers. David has impeccable credentials. 
He holds degrees in economics from three universities, Memorial, Toronto, and Princeton. He was on the faculty of Queen's. He served the people of Newfoundland and Labrador as a senior public servant for almost 30 years, including stints as secretary to cabinet, deputy minister, and chair of province's pub. David is associated with the Leslie Harris Center Regional Policy and Development, where he encourages public policy research. He has sat on many numerous corporate boards and was president of the Institute of Fisheries and Marine Technology. David has been recognized for his service and leadership, an honorary doctorate from Memorial, a gold medal from the Professional Institute of the Public Service of Canada, and the Lieutenant Governor's Award for Excellence in Public Administration. David is very active in his community and he speaks out on matters of public import importance and this is one of those instances. We're delighted that he took the long flight to Winnipeg away from his varied involvements and tasks and with great pleasure I present David Barty. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> great pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Graeme, for your kind remarks. I'd like to begin by telling a story. As a Rotarian, we have many, I'm a member of Rotary Club in Newfoundland, with many good speakers on various topics. One of our speakers came, spoke, was well received, and at the end of his talk, one of our members of our club came forward and he said, enjoyed your talk. He said it was absolutely superlative. He said, I would like to have a copy of your speech. And the gentleman said, well, that's very kind of you. He said, I intend to have all of my speeches published posthumously. And uh, the old gentleman said, the sooner the better. <laughs> now as Henry VIII said to each of his many wives, I shan't keep you long. My intention is to run through uh, my presentation and to give you an opportunity to ask questions. And uh, so I'm going to run through a fair bit of information because I think it's important to have some background. Fundamentally what we're dealing with here is the regulation of crown corporations in Canada, uh, which are owned by the people, but over which the people have very little control. And so the main focus will be to talk about major commitments being made by crown corporations where people don't have much opportunity for oversight and commitments are being made into future generations, major commitments. I'm going to talk a bit about comparison between the projects in Newfoundland, Labrador, and Manitoba on particular issues such as the role of export revenues, issues related to water management, the fiscal impact, which is quite different between here and there, uh, and generally some comments about the regulatory oversight of Crown Corporations and how we can protect future generations through a strong public utilities board. My vantage point is that of a professional public servant. Uh, while some people have characterized my position as being political, uh, I have to say I've not been affiliated with any political party and uh, um, I have no particular predilection in favor of one versus the other. I have a pragmatic view that what I want to see happen is good government. So, um, and I have no particular loyalty to any particular government. I have a loyalty to the rule of law, which, which requires that we give deference to courts of law as well as to quasi-judicial boards. I think they play an important role in our society. My objections to Muskrat Falls are principally twofold. One is on the process, which was followed in deciding on the project, and secondly on the economics, the fundamental economics of the project itself, and we'll talk a little bit about those. In terms of com comparison, uh, your province has a population of one and a quarter million and is growing, whereas our population is 500,000 and it's stagnant. Uh, 
Our province is two-thirds of the size of Manitoba. The overriding feature of the last 50 years in Newfoundland is the Cod Moratorium. And I was the Deputy Minister of Fisheries when the Cod Moratorium took place. And that had a huge impact on everything. Uh, so I'm dating uh, some of the charts I'm going to show you from 1992. Uh, another major event that happened in our province is the oil and gas industry. We have three major developments offshore that are generating 36.5% of our revenue. Our GDP has been growing. We no longer are receiving equalization. Uh, our public debt, however, is high and is growing. We went through a period of repaying the public debt. Now we're back into our bad old habits of spending too much money. We're spending 40% more than the average of all the provinces combined. We are spending 40% more, and this is triggered by the fact that we have money, and, we, we, and the money is burning a hole in our pockets. This is a very quick uh, overview. 1992 is uh, the origin, and I've got Canada. I've got Canada in blue. I've got Manitoba in green. I've got Newfoundland in red. And that tells a big story in terms of the demographics. It shows that uh, we've had major uh, decline in population. Uh, Manitoba, on the other hand, has not quite kept up with the Canadian average, although uh, the, uh, Manitoba certainly has had a very strong and, in my opinion, successful uh, strategy for attracting immigrants. GDP per capita, uh, you'd be interested to see we actually exceeded the, in Newfoundland, in, in green, we exceeded the national average. Uh, we, we exceeded the level in Manitoba. Uh, it went up and it leveled off and it's in the process of leveling off now and uh, it, whether it's going to continue to grow is really dependent on offshore oil activity and oil prices. Net debt per capita, Newfoundland and Manitoba, uh, our debt uh, per capita is a good bit higher than yours, but we're moving, we're converging. We've gone through a process where we reduced our debt, we reduced our debt, but now it's starting to grow again, so we're starting to get into some of the bad old habits. Uh, our power system, very quickly, we have a, an investor-owned utility distribution, uh, mandated for distribution, Newfoundland Power, which is owned by a publicly traded company, Fortis, and uh, we have Newfoundland Hydro, which is owned by Nalcor, Nalcor Energy, and both our crown corporations, Nalcor is the holding company. Manitoba Hydro, as you know, is vertically integrated, so we have two power companies where you have one. Our residential rates are fairly high, a good bit higher than yours. Uh, ours are 12 and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Yours are uh, just over seven. Uh, the role of hydropower in both is very important because hydro dominates the system in both our provinces. And uh, we do have a thermal plant, a large thermal plant in uh, Holyrood. And um, we also have a large plant in Churchill Falls. And the plant in Churchill Falls is 5,428 megawatts. All the power, with, with the exception of 300 megawatts, recall power, which is used in Labrador, all of it is sold to Quebec under a 65-year contract, which expires in 2041. And that's one of the drivers. That contract is one of the drivers for this project. The 65-year contract is at ridiculously low prices and uh, right now the price is a quarter of a cent per kilowatt hour. It will decline in the last 25 years from 2016 to 2041 to one-fifth of a cent per kilowatt hour. This gives you a picture. The red is the, the upper Churchill power and uh, the green is hydro. So if you're looking at the top bar, it's Manitoba and Manitoba is dominated by hydropower. And uh, if you remove the red bar from the second, the red from the second bar, that's basically what we have available to us because the Upper Churchill is not available to us until 2041. Churchill Falls, 65-year contract, regarded as highly inequitable, but in 2041, that facility will revert to Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we have majority ownership in the company. Uh, governments tend to see Muskrat Falls as a bridge to 2041. 
So that's one of the reasons we need some power between now and 2041. One of the options we have not explored is the purchase of power. And there's a very credible argument that could be made that we should be out buying power from Hydro-Quebec because Hydro-Quebec uh, is not selling its power at the high prices that they did 10 years ago. And so if we could match the prices they're receiving in the marketplace, we'd be doing extremely well. We would still have to build a transmission line to bring that power to us. Um, Muskrat Falls, one of the drivers of Muskrat Falls, one, of the, one is to, to replace an old thermal plant located in Holywood, which has been used uh, about 20% of its capacity, which will be increasingly used over the next few years unless we have some other capacity. Secondly, it's an interconnection between the island and the mainland because it involves two submarine crossings. Uh, government sees Muskrat Falls as an opportunity to invest money from non-renewable revenues into a renewable project. It's a better fit than the larger project at Gull Island, which is the other lower Churchill project. And the cost, without the maritime link, is $7.2 billion. $7.2 billion. If you add the maritime link, that's <coughs> 1.8, so you're looking at a $9 billion project. We have been successful in, get, in, in achieving a federal guarantee, a federal loan guarantee, and that will give us access to $5 billion at 3.8% on the average. This is the, uh, hope you can see this in the back, uh, but um, you, the link between Labrador and the island is called the Strait of Belle Isle. The power, the cables coming down from Muskrat Falls will go underneath that strait. It's about uh, 35 miles, 35 kilometers. Uh, there will be one redundant cable. It'll be covered with rock burn. Uh, and then there'll be another cable, another set of cables going from the island to Cape Breton Island. So there's two submarine cables. And this one from Cape Ray to the Cape Breton Island is called the Maritime Link. That's the, the Maritime Link. And the project we're developing is in Muskrat Falls. Churchill Falls is right here. So I'm, so, I'm sorry the, the, the map isn't bigger. It's a bit, it's a bit hard to see. So uh, the difference, big difference between Newfoundland, Labrador, and Manitoba is you have existing transmission systems. You have Bipole 1 and 2 already in place, whereas we don't have any kind of transmission linking the island with Labrador. We do have a link between the mainland of Canada and Labrador, which, is the, which uh, represents the lines flowing from Churchill Falls west to Quebec, connecting with the high voltage lines in the province of Quebec. The agreement with Nova Scotia was the trigger for creating the federal loan guarantee. And the notion is a 20 for 20 principle. 20% 20 of Muskrat Falls energy committed to EMERA which is the uh, investor-owned utility in Nova Scotia, 20% of the energy for 20% of the cost. And that was the original deal. But then it was submitted to the uh, Public Utilities Board in Nova Scotia, and they said that's not good enough, so we ended up renegotiating it. Uh, but the, there is excess capacity available on the maritime link because the maritime link will carry 500 megawatts, and Muskrat Falls will, will be 824. So 40% of Muskrat Falls power will be left in, uh, on the island, and 20% will be sold by way of this link to Nova Scotia. The board in Nova Scotia basically said that's not good enough, so we ended up renegotiating so that we've given them an additional 1.8 ter ter terawatt hours <coughs> supplied at spot energy rates. So now 57% of Muskrat Falls power will go to Nova Scotia, up from 20%, which contradicts the notion that the project was for the island. And basically it's for the next few years, most of the power will go to Nova Scotia. Exports. Now, export, the export situation is important to us, less important to us than it has been to you. Uh, the National Energy Board has reported that the, the average revenue from the export sale of energy 
dropped from 6.8 percent in 2008 to 2012 today, that, that short period, to, to uh, 3.3 cents, from 6.8 to 3.3 cents. And you're feeling the impact of that <coughs> because your electricity rates are being reduced by revenue coming in and offsetting the costs. Your export revenue is down from 625 million to 363 in 2012. And I understand that for the preferred development plan, export revenue is extremely important. It's an important driver for the preferred development plan. The mid the mid continent uh, uh, group, the MISO group, uh, have, are experiencing low growth and oil coal displacement opportunities exist. So that's where uh, Manitoba's exports are likely to go into that group, uh, responding to that load and responding to those opportunities, and also responding to the to the American uh, policies favoring renewable portfolio standards and uh, possibly uh, carbon pricing. The problem, of course, that you face is you're going to lose. You may lose money. You may lose a lot of money on your exports, and that's one of the big cautions in undertaking major development is that you're going not going to be able to recover your cost, and that is the problem we face as well, because the first 20% of the power we're giving Nova Scotia, what we get in exchange is access to their to the transmission line to the maritime link. For the incremental amount that we are selling, we're selling the power at spot prices, which are likely to range between four to nine cents per kilowatt hour, hardly enough to compensate for the cost of actually generating the power, which in Newfoundland will be 21 cents, 21 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, the federal loan guarantee was uh, was successfully implemented and uh, and uh, negotiated. The exports to Nova Scotia are really important. The export revenues, as I said, won't cover the full cost, but they do. the The project uh, becomes a an interprovincial project with national scope. It gives us capital uh, at three point eight cents, uh, which is the federal borrowing rate and we can borrow $5 billion. It's $5 billion towards a $7.2 billion project, which means we have to find the rest of the money. And we put it in, we the province put that in, in the form of equity. The guarantee, in my opinion, is absolutely necessary to finance the project. The water on the beans are different here than they are in, in Newfoundland. In, in, New, in Manitoba, you're using export revenues to reduce domestic rates. No such commitment has been given in Newfoundland where the domestic rate payers will end up subsidizing Nova Scotia utilities and the revenues coming back have not been earmarked to offset the rates in uh, the domestic rates. We have a number of industrial customers that are seeking low-cost power, particularly in, La in Labrador, mining companies, and uh, they're looking at power below cost, and they're likely to get it. They're very likely to get that power because those industrial customers uh, have a, a fair bit of influence. Will Manitoba Hydro lose money on exports? And if so, will the ratepayers be picking up the deficit? Both provinces will be facing rising electricity rates. It's all pretty well inevitable. We're all going to be facing uh, rising electricity rates. I understand that you're going to be facing compound rates of 4% over the next probably 20 years, and that the benefit of these large projects will not be seen for some years to come. Similarly, in Newfoundland, we will be experiencing high rates, and that's going to be a problem. It's going to create a situation where people are going to start to move away from electricity. In the long term, there may be a stabilization of rates, but in the short to medium term, it's going to be an impact on consumers. And consumers respond, uh, and uh, uh, today I met uh, one of my classmates at Princeton, and Howard Elliott, and Howard will remember that they taught us in economics at Princeton 
that there's something called elasticity of demand. And uh, estimates of elasticity of demand suggest that when the price goes up, people will reduce their consumption. And when you're talking about a 4% compounded increase, it's hard to believe that that won't shrink your uh, load growth. In a, in a province where there's no population growth, it's almost inevitable that low growth will decline as opposed to rising. So uh, this is a rising electricity rates that are inevitable are likely to cause many of these load forecasts to be off by a, by a big factor. Um, so the demand is likely to shrink unless offset by higher population growth. And so I believe that both here and in Newfoundland, our load forecasts are on the high side. We have problematic oversight. Nalcor was created in 2007 as a new, a new crown corporation. It's, it's not subject to the role to the Auditor General. Well, it is the Auditor General can go and do an audit, but if the Auditor General reports information which is deemed to be commercially sensitive, then the CEO of Nalcor can reject, can uh, veto the tabling of the AG's report in the legislature. So uh, uh, oversight by the AG is a problem. I understand that the AG has not, is not currently auditing Manitoba Hydro. That's my understanding. We, uh, Nalcor provides annual reports, but not quarterly reports. But even bigger than all these issues is the fact that Nalcor is not regulated. It's not that it is regulated lightly, it's simply not regulated. It's not a regulated utility. And uh, it's wholly owned subsidiary is. And that is a big problem. That is a big problem for me. Right now, uh, the last cost estimate for Muskrat Falls was produced in October of 2012. And the CEO of uh, Nelcor said that it would give us uh, an update by the end of the first quarter. Well, we still don't have it. The, the, the latest cost estimate we have is $7.2 billion. Uh, regulation in here in, in uh, Newfoundland versus Manitoba. We in Newfoundland do have a review of capital budget by the Public Utilities Board. They do a pretty thorough job, actually. Uh, unfortunately, they, that's not done here. That's not part of the oversight process here. In, uh, in Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, the government of the day basically intervened and exempted the Muskrat Falls project from regulatory oversight. Uh, some people placed some pressure on the government and said, why don't you, you can't have this project without some kind of public review process. So they, they agreed to a reference, and the reference was limited to two alternatives, and the process was flawed. Uh, comparing the two processes between here and Newfoundland, you now have your need for an alternatives to hearing, uh, and I'm looking at, I took particular note of the time that the two utility boards were given subsequent to the submission of, by, their, by the proponent. The submission was filed in November, on November 10th in 2011 in Newfoundland, and um, the report was due five months later. In Manitoba Hydro, the submission was filed August the 16th, 2013, report was due June 20th, 2014, uh, which was 10 months, which is, which is longer than, than we have had. Now, I know that the uh, hearing here is limited and does not include bipole 2 and does not include sunk costs, so I think the scope is problematic here, as it is in Newfoundland, where the alternatives were limited to two. And the, the two alternatives were, number one, interconnection with Labrador to Muskrat Falls, and number two, continuation of providing power from sources on the island as an isolated system. And I look upon it as the old question, have you stopped beating your wife? You know, because have you stopped beating your spouse to be more uh, politically correct? Uh, because, you know, the question between one and the other did not admit other reasonable possibilities. Uh, our board said 
to the government that they couldn't recommend between the two. They couldn't decide between the two because the cost estimates they had at the time were what are, what are known as class four cost estimates, which were based on 10% of the design work. They were extremely imprecise. And uh, they were dealing with a, an outdated low growth. The result was they said to the government, sorry, we can't render an opinion on this reference question. Uh, so that's a big problem in terms of uh, its ability to do its job. So they weren't allowed to do their job. And the sad thing is then they were cut off at the knees because they were basically told they had no role, no future role to play. Nova Scotia now, on the other hand, they had a thorough, robust review by their Public Utilities Board, and the Public Utilities Board is continuing to monitor and implement the project to make sure that all the expenditures that are being incurred are prudent. And I look upon the Nova Scotia model as a good model, as a better model than yours and ours, even though we ended up, we in Newfoundland ended up uh, being, uh, ending the, getting the short end of the stick in terms of the uh, outcome from the Maritime Link. Uh, government sanctioned the Muskrat Falls project December 2012 in spite of two negative reviews. One by the PUB, which I've spoken about already, the other by a joint federal-provincial panel. And the joint federal-provincial panel held 30 days of hearings, and they concluded there was no business case, and that NALCOR needed to go back and present a business case for the project. Earlier this, year, we, earlier this year, we had major power outages, which caused them to question the due diligence of our electric utilities. And so the Public Utilities Board uh, is conducting an inquiry. Uh, Nelcor wanted to limit the review to issues prior to the interconnection. Uh, other parties, uh, including Newfoundland Powers, wanted the full review not only looking at the, the system as it is presently configured, but also as it is, will be configured after interconnection. And uh, lo and behold, the PUB agreed with uh, Newfoundland Power. So there will be uh, a review of whether Muskrat Falls Power will be reliable. Because one of the things that I as a regulator, and Graham will know as a regulator, is that the reliability of power is inversely related to the distance between the power source and the customer. And because there's so many slips between the cup and the lip. Uh, so that, that was a victory, and we're hoping that that review by the Public Utilities Board will, uh, will actually assess uh, Muskrat Falls and, and determine whether it's going to be reliable. Uh, the PUB may conclude that Muskrat Falls is not sufficient without continuing to have the power on the Avalon Peninsula, in which case we're going to end up with Holyrood and Muskrat Falls rather than Holyrood or Muskrat Falls. Fiscal impact, the huge difference, you guys are a world apart from us on fiscal impact. Manitoba is drawing revenues, large amounts of revenue from hydro development through your capital tax, from your water power rentals, and from your guarantee fee. Now we don't have a guarantee fee. We do not charge a guarantee fee uh, to our hydro company. Uh, we don't have a capital tax. Our water power rentals are minuscule, they're, they're nominal. And um, instead, our government is infusing new money, $2.2 billion in cash as equity for the project. <coughs> so my conclusions are both provinces have embarked on a high-risk capital program. Both have compromised the regulatory process, failed to allow proper oversight. As I mentioned, Nelcor Energy is not regulated. Muskrat Falls was exempted from regulation. Um, federal loan guarantee was capped at $5 billion, which is a huge risk because if the project goes beyond the $7.2 billion, then the province is going to have to pony up the difference. Um, and. Um, one of the problems here is that the capital budget of Manitoba Hydro is not subject to board review without a reference to the cabinet, from the cabinet, from the cabinet. Um, back a little over a year ago, our government, in order to 
lock up the, the market for hydroelectric powers, uh, they passed an act, an amendment to the Electrical Power Control Act, which made it illegal to compete with, with Nalco. So if a company wants to get involved in uh, generating power, it can't do that right now without getting approval. So now all that was intended to ensure that the ratepayers in Newfoundland would repay the, uh, the debt guaranteed by the federal government. Uh, Nelcor transmission lines can't be used to wield power uh, for if a customer in Newfoundland wishes to purchase power off the island, then he has to actually buy it from Nelcor, not directly from the customer, which in my opinion is in contradiction of the long-standing position of the government of Newfoundland and Labrador in favor of free trade, uh, because in our dealings with Quebec, we have argued that we should be allowed to sell our power through Quebec without having to sell the power at the border. We need improved regulatory boards, stronger regulatory boards. We have created in Canada a system which is quite different from what it is south of the border. South of the border, you have principally investor-owned utilities. You have strong utility boards. Uh, in Canada, we have weakened boards. We have crown corporations that trump the, the, the public utilities boards. Uh, I'm not arguing that governments should not be able to make a final decision when it comes to major projects. But the, the boards should certainly have an opportunity to comment and provide advice on all projects, both large and small. And they should have an opportunity to provide a full, independent, and transparent review. <coughs> the, the means whereby we appoint commissioners can be improved. Um, we need more independence. We need these, uh, these boards to be more independent. In Newfoundland, they're relatively independent. They're, uh, they're appointed, our commissioners are appointed for 10 years and subject to good behavior, which means that unless they do something really bad to show that they're prejudiced in some way, uh, they, they can't be dismissed, which is, which is a good thing. Whereas here, my understanding is they're appointed uh, by uh, the Lieutenant Governor Council at pleasure. And we all know what pl at pleasure means. Um, so I think that could be improved by uh, confirmation, by an all-party legislative committee, or a judicial panel. So I think that there, there are improvements we can make, a lot of improvements in terms of our uh, oversight mechanisms. And um, one of the things that I would like to see is for our public utility boards to be able to determine the prudence of investments before those investments are included in rate base. In Newfoundland, we do have the power to determine certain investments that are not prudent and they shouldn't be going into the rate base and therefore they should not be allowed to earn a return on rate base. And that's the way it is in Nova Scotia. In Nova Scotia, if the maritime link, the cost of the maritime link exceeds the budget that's established, then the board will determine whether those costs should be picked up by ratepayers or whether they should be absorbed by the utilities. If they decide that they're going to be absorbed by the utilities, then Nelcor has to pick up 50% uh, of the cost of any overruns. But the point is that Nova Scotia has a good regime because they have good, solid regulatory oversight. Citizen and stakeholder participation should be encouraged in two ways, at least two ways. One, by intervener funding, which Manitoba has, and secondly, through the availability of a consumer advocate which Newfoundland has, but Manitoba doesn't. In Newfoundland, the consumer advocate is appointed by the government, and that I consider to be a, a flaw, a fault. I think it, it would be better to follow the Nova Scotia model where the consumer advocate is appointed by the, by the board, or else to have an all-party committee or a judicial panel make the appointment. We need more access to information, Access to information is not readily available. Uh, in Newfoundland, information can be blocked by the CEO of uh, Nalcor. The Auditor General should have unfettered access. And pu public policy dialogue should be enhanced through centers such as the, the Frontier Center for Public Policy, which I regard to be a great model. And uh, we in Newfoundland have uh, very, we don't have anything exactly the same 
but I think that the FCPP provides a great opportunity for citizens to become informed and engaged. And I think that what the FCPP, the FCPP needs to do is to do what they're doing, put out in the public domain good ideas, innovative ideas, which, which you're doing, and I know Graham has written a lot of, of articles, and these articles should be focused on rebalancing the relationship between crown corporations and citizens. And public utility boards can play a very important role. You know, from personal experience, if we did not have the information that we received, that I received from the process, flawed as it was, in our public utilities board, I would know nothing about the Muscat Falls project. Our people would know nothing about it. The amount of uh, transparency that it gave was incredible yet it was flawed. But what we need to do is to push for greater transparency and we need to push for greater uh, accountability. And um, that concludes my presentation. I will simply say that I think that we, um, we have in Canada uh, uh, similar problems between your province and ours, but we all know that there are uh, large crown corporations in other provinces that have a very powerful role, and so I, I'm sure that the issues we're dealing with here are not unique to either of us, and I think that we all need to work to finding better solutions. And I don't have a silver bullet to present to you today because I don't think there is one, but I do think that we as informed citizens can uh, make better public policy by doing exactly what you guys are doing, by bringing people together in a room like this one, and uh, I am very uh, pleased to be here today, and very uh, honored to be invited to come, and I look forward to the question and answer session. Thank you very much. So if you do have a question, just write it down, and Steve's gonna run it up to the, the front here. I've got a question I'll start off with, uh, David. Is it appropriate for a government one that has a majority in the legislature to commit to American utilities and First Nations, hire hundreds of northern workers, and spend a couple of billion dollars ahead of regulatory approvals, let alone a truly independent and unrestricted review by experts. That's, that's one of those questions when once you pose the question, the answer is somewhat axiomatic. I guess the, the, the question is, whatever the commitments are, the expenditure commitments, I think that they need to be reviewed for prudence. They need to be reviewed by a public utilities board to ensure that they, they're consistent with the objectives of the project. And the project, uh, the project objectives need to be very clear. Uh, it needs to be very clearly defined as to whether the objectives are, are to establish low-cost power rates and reliable power or if the, if the uh, objectives are to be broad, socio-economic objectives, I think it's important that those be stated so that they can be assessed. And that raises the question, I guess, of what is the jurisdiction, the appropriate jurisdiction of a public utilities board. In Newfoundland, we're a traditional public utilities board. We have no, uh, we, I still say we after 13 years, we have, we have no authority to speak on environmental, ma environmental matters. Uh, my understanding is that uh, your board did have some environmental issues which could be, could be considered. And I think there's a lot to be said for combining uh, the regulatory processes into, to try to simplify them to deal with some of these other issues. But I think that if a board is given um, the responsibility <coughs> to oversee uh, projects, and it should it should be made clear in, the, in public policy what is the goal to be achieved, and uh, the goals, as I understand them, uh, for your crown corporation and mine, are really twofold: low cost power and, reli uh, and reliable power. So it would seem to me that these extraneous issues may may be costs that should most appropriately be passed on to people other than ratepayers. Did you state what the historical and forecasted trends are in Newfoundland for load 
in a province with static and even declining population. Yeah, the, um, it's interesting that over the last 20 years, our load growth has been negligible because for a number of reasons. One is we've lost two major pulp and paper companies, the major users, uh, and the third pulp and paper company is, uh, has drastically downsized. Uh, we have one smelter about to start, which is going to be taking less, less power than the pulp and paper companies. Uh, the general service demand has been growing very slowly. Uh, domestic residential demand is growing mainly because of the penetration of electric heat, which I consider to be imprudent. It is an inefficient way to be uh, heating, to be, to be heating homes or, or other spaces, and uh, we should be encouraging people to use other sources of heat. But we're not doing any of that in the demand side management. If we had proper demand side management, we would need we would not need any additional resources. <clears throat> what are realistic alternatives <laughs> to these hydro projects, i.e., wind, solar, nuclear? In our province, uh, nuclear power is not made available because of the law. It's actually written into the act that we are not to consider nuclear power because we're so small. And uh, that may change once we become interconnected, which, which we will be. And I think nuclear power, uh, I mean, nuclear power is very controversial. I think that nuclear power has got a lot to commend it and a lot of advantages. I think that we should be developing solar power and wind power and as many alternatives as we can. But as I said a few moments ago, I think the principal uh, focus needs to be on taking the responsibility for conservation and demand-side management <clears throat> away from the utilities, away from the electric utilities, because why, why would you expect the manufacturers of Coca-Cola to be telling us to go and drink Pepsi? As Manitoba already has a gross debt of $32 billion, 50% of provincial GDP, does borrowing another 20 or $30 billion to be able to export more power to American utilities at uncertain pricing represent a considerable risk? Well, in my opinion, um, we reached a point where borrowing, when we borrow, we are imposing major burdens on our on future generations. And you know something? They're, the, the, the next generation, there's fewer of them. There's more of us than there's fewer of them. Uh, we're putting a huge burden on future, on people, especially in areas where populations are not growing uh, rapidly. Uh, and uh, we're, um, uh, it's going to be so difficult for people to live, for young people to survive, if we impose uh, large burdens on them. I think we've got to start repaying our debts as opposed to incurring, incurring large debts to uh, whether it's to supply uh, perceived local markets or to supply perceived uh, markets elsewhere. Um, I guess I think that the, the, the main reason public utilities, Canadian public utilities are in the business of selling electric power is so they can reduce the rates to their domestic customers. If they can't reduce the rates to their do domestic customers, then it makes no sense to do it. Are the current NFAT hearings in Manitoba worth the effort? <clears throat> I am going to be uh, non-judgmental on this. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a stranger in a strange land. And um, uh, so when I look at the NFAT hearings on the face of it, and I don't really know the, uh, how it's working in the bowels, but I said that is a better process than we had. Manitoba has got a better regulatory process, a better, I won't call it forensic, a better uh, review of alternatives than we were able to achieve in Newfoundland. So I think that uh, what, what's happening here is uh, the review is a good thing. It, it may be inadequate, but the fact that it's being done is better than not doing it. So uh, it is better to light one little candle than to curse the darkness. I think this will be our last question, and I'm going to ask Graham Lane to come up and uh, thank our speaker. So, you stated that in your view, 
that MBA, that Manitoba's current regulatory review process of hydro's preferred development plan is flawed. You noted exclusion of bipolar three transmission, no inclusion of sunk costs or capital budgets. Other than the general structural improvements you noted to rebalance the relationship between the public and regulatory authority, is that the extent of the major flaws you see in our current review process? <clears throat> the, other, the other flaw that, uh, that I would uh, know is, the, um, is appointing a special panel, a panel appointed by the Lieutenant Government Council uh, for this specific purpose. Uh, creating the impression that those people are going to do the interest of, of their employers. And that's always a very difficult thing, you know, how, how do people that are appointed uh, perceive their mandate in terms of how much independence they have. And I would, I would think that it would be better served if there were, for such a project, the, uh, this being one of the greater and more important projects, uh, that uh, if, if the government were going to uh, add additional commissioners, that there should be a process. There would be a better process. There should be a better process, more transparent, more accountable, uh, and more, um, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? More discriminating process, a more discriminating process. That would be my only comment. Thank you, David, and I'll ask Graham to come up. Uh, Well, thank you, David, for an illuminating talk. It's a brave man that comes from the, the rock out to the prairies and uh, starts um, examining and commenting on a different province's uh, governance structures and processes and everything else. I know how much work you put in to uh, understand what was going on in Manitoba and to be able to contrast it against the situation that you are going through in, in Newfoundland. And you're a brave man for... Um, standing up and making the comments that you have made in Newfoundland. You've indicated to us uh, before in uh, for supper, for example, about how difficult it is to um, gain a public dialogue of, of significant breadth and depth to be able to allow people to realize exactly what's going on and, and what the risks are for the future. And taking on that task after your long uh, career in public interest is uh, is uh, admirable, and uh, I applaud you for it. And I thank you very much for coming out today and uh, giving us your thoughts of your situation and your views on what our situation is and how they come together in some ways and ways in which we could improve future processes. Thank you very much. <laughs>